So let's see. Okay. Let's start with a story. The room was simple and plain with walls of cement brick, fluorescent lights overhead, cheap stained carpet, and the same 1970s style institutional furniture that adorned many of the dorm lounges around the college campus. The group was gathered sitting cross-legged in a small circle on the floor. Half a dozen or so college students in a basement common room of a dormitory. One student, a senior, tall and blonde, had a guitar in his lap, which he strummed with fervor while singing heartfelt love songs, not to a male or female crush, but to someone grander, more transcendent. Jesus, Jesus, holy and anointed one, Jesus, he sang. The lyrics went on, your name is like honey on my lips, your spirit like water to my soul, your word is a lamp unto my feet, Jesus I love you, I love you. As he sang, a young woman sat in the circle and began to weep. It was her first time there. She didn't know any of these students. She was new at this school, new to this part of the country, a California kid now living in Chicago, just starting to get her bearings in her theater program when this tall, blonde theater student had visited her freshman theater history class. Before the lecture started, he addressed the class, announced he was starting a group for other theater students who wanted to talk about God. The young woman sensed that most of the other freshmen around her snickered or rolled their eyes at the invitation, but she couldn't dismiss it so cavalierly. The truth is the girl knew her presence in this Midwestern college classroom wasn't just about her good high school GPA or her dreams of someday being cast in a Broadway musical. She'd had numerous offers from schools across the country who'd promised her assistance on the path to her dreams, but in visiting them, there was only one school in which she'd sensed something bigger than herself and her aspirations calling her forward. She'd felt it touring this school's campus, a mysterious sense that she was stepping into her destiny, to a place she belonged, into a story that had yet to be written, but in which she was to play a feature role. After months of seriously praying for the first time in her life to whatever might be out there in the universe, the young woman felt the universe might be speaking back. I think maybe there's a God, she said to herself, and that God wants me to go to school here. So months later, when that blonde senior stepped to the front of her classroom and extended his invitation, the young woman paid attention. 
She noticed the chills coming over her body, a sensation she'd had on that strange day months before. She felt the prickling of the hair on the back of her neck, the stillness and gravity in her spirit that gave her a quiet confidence that despite her nervousness and lots of questions around people who identified themselves as Christians on campus, this was an invitation she needed to accept. So a few days later, there she was, seated on the dorm floor of the plain cement brick room, weeping inexplicably and uncontrollably as the students around her sang their love songs to Jesus. She couldn't really wrap her mind around what was happening. She'd grown up attending formal churches that had none of this intimacy, none of this emotion, where the name Jesus was all, always invoked in concert with the last name of Christ and spoken of in terms so reverently that the Son of God seemed mythic and inapproachable, uninterested in the mundane daily realities of the people in the pews. Yet here, in this basement, as she nervously observed these students reading stories together from the gospel, stories of the life of Jesus, and as she heard them speak of him somehow now mystically present with them in the here and now, as she listened to the simple love songs they sang, something deep in her was released. She could feel an acceptance and a love wash over her spirit that she'd not felt before. A survivor of sexual trauma, a young woman who'd absorbed patriarchy's messages that she was unworthy and unlovable and that she could only be accepted by, by playing a role on the stage of life. She now felt seen and understood in a way she'd never been places in her memory that had been cloaked in shame for years, parts of herself that she'd worked hard not to look at or let anyone else see, were unmasked, exposed. But rather than the exposure wounding her further, she could perceive a hope for healing. For the first time in a deep way, she understood the miracle of the words she'd been taught to sing as a child. Yes, Jesus loves me. And that, no, that knowing brought a new kind of freedom and joy that would change her life. Of course, as I'm sure you all know by now, that young woman in the dormitory basement more than 20 years ago was me. That night and what came after played a significant role and setting me on a path I had not predicted when I moved from San Diego to Chicago with dreams of New York on the horizon. The path would eventually lead me to my life partner, Jason. It would lead me to rethink my vocation. It would lead me to seminary, pastoral ministry, eventually beginning the community that's come to be called Haven. Along the way, the path of following Jesus at times would feel exciting and triumphant, full of confidence that I now understood who God was, what God was doing in the universe, how I was called to be a part of it. And yet at other times, walking the path of Christian faith has felt immensely challenging. As I found myself hurt and heartbroken, 
by many of my fellow travelers or confused by detours that did not match my understanding of how the journey was supposed to go. And then there are the ways that it seemed, it has, it has come to be clear that the very endeavor of traveling in Jesus's name seems to have harmed untold numbers of people for generations. I've had my eyes opened to the harmful idols as I've come to call them that were constructed throughout the particular version of the Jesus path I have walked. Idols which at times have made me wonder if there was anything in this Jesus way still worth walking on or if the whole path was hopelessly corrupt. But despite my questions, despite my valid critiques of the infrastructure humans over the centuries have built on this Jesus-centered faith, I still remain. I still find myself drawn decades later by that same mysterious and profound knowing I experienced long ago, a knowing that there is something real and true and deep that I encounter through faith in Jesus and the divine reality that Christian faith upholds. It still moves me in my core that God so loves the world that God draws near. The divine meets us in the particular and the personal. God comes to the parts of us that have been told were unworthy and unlovable with eyes of compassion and companionship. And from that place of intimate encounter, the divine wants to, to sustain us, remain close to us, confront the systems that harm and degrade our humanity and redeem us and the rest of our creation. Well, I share this story because today we're starting a new series of conversations we're calling The Stories That Sustain Us. And in this series, we're going to return to the Gospels, the set of stories in our sacred texts about the life and ministry of Jesus. We, we haven't been there for a while. We've been in the exile. We've been in the wilderness. We're thinking maybe now is a time to look afresh at what some of those gospel stories might mean for us as a Haven community. We'll look at these stories with the hope that there's something in them that we might need to keep going, to keep us grounded, keep us spiritually connected to something beyond ourselves and our challenging 2020 and 2021 realities. For those of us who found ourselves in recent years deconstructing a good chunk of our Christian identity and faith practice, I know that's a lot of you and it's a lot of me. I hope this will be an opportunity to examine what of this tradition and the stories of the center of it still speak to us in sacred ways. For those of us who are new to the spiritual endeavor and trying to discern what role, if any, Jesus might play in it. I hope these conversations will be useful in helping you find a way forward. 
A few years ago, our Haven leadership started to define the vision of Haven as a community that seeks to hold three values in tension, being safe, being diverse, and being Jesus-centered. In this series, we'll take some time to consider what the third of those values means to us. How do we continue to truly pursue some sort of Jesus-centered faith in ways that celebrate diversity, even diversity of understanding and belief? How do we embody the diversity that I personally believe Jesus calls us to in ways that honor one another's sacredness and value one another's safety? I hope this series will help us grow deeper in wisdom and conviction as we try to follow the divine spirit that sustained Jesus and that our tradition affirms is available to sustain all of us as we gather and grow in sacred community. So this morning, I'm not going to be giving a full-blown teaching. This today is more really of an introduction and an opportunity for some personal and communal reflection and conversation as we begin this series that will take us honestly through the first few months of the year, all the way through Lent and Easter. But I do want to briefly consider together one gospel story as we begin that I hope might help our own reflection around where each of us is really entering the conversation. And that story comes from the Gospel of John at the end of chapter six. We're not gonna go through the whole thing. I will just summarize what's been happening to give us some quick context. You might wanna go back and read John six, more of this story yourself later. But Jesus has been teaching in a synagogue in a place called Capernaum, a detail that reminds us that just as each of us emerges from a particular history, a particular tradition and spiritual background, Jesus himself, was a part of a particular tradition. Jesus of Nazareth was an observant Jewish rabbi. And drawing from that tradition, it seems that the passage he was reflecting on in the synagogue uh, was the same story we ourselves were looking at just last week, for those of you who were with us. The story from Exodus around the people of Israel being fed by God with manna as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, before he preached in Capernaum, Jesus had just recently performed a miracle that resonated with the story in powerful ways. He'd taken only five barley loaves and two fish and fed multitudes uh, until they were all satisfied. Now, as the crowds gathered to see him with hope, I'm sure, of probably even more impressive miracles, Jesus challenges them with a stranger invitation. Rather than produce more food that people can consume with their mouths and stomachs, Jesus seems like he wants to give them something else. I'm the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The people are confused by what he's saying, and they get even more puzzled as the dialogue continues, and he elaborates, saying things like, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died? That's the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
For many of Jesus's listeners, that was a bridge too far. They came wanting a miraculous loaf, like they'd eaten before or, or their cousin or friend had told them about. But now Jesus seemed to be talking to them about like, maybe cannibalism? That was too weird. And this brings us to the part of the story I'm most interested in for us today. And you can read along. Picking up in John 6, verses 66. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the 12, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know you are the Holy One of God. This moment resonates for me. Perhaps it resonates for you. These disciples have had an experience that has been distressing. Jesus has said some confusing things, things that don't make sense. Many of their follow, fellow followers have been, become discouraged and walked away altogether. And Jesus understands that his closest followers, the 12, the ones who have been with him day in and day out for a long time now, they might feel the same way. They too might feel confused, too bewildered to persist. Do you also wish to go away? He asked them. And here is where Peter speaks with clarity of conviction. Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, it's not that Peter is just like more pious than all the other folks. One thing I love about Peter as you read the Gospels is how clearly messy and human he is. He often speaks up first, saying the thing that no doubt everyone else is thinking but aren't brave enough to say. Sometimes we get the sense that he's really getting it, right? That it's clicked in a real way, whatever Jesus is trying to teach. And sometimes we see how clear it is that he is missing what Jesus is up to. But in his humanity, in the way that he wears his heart on his sleeve and blurts out much of what he's thinking, we get the opportunity to watch him evolve in his understanding. And we can also see Jesus's choice to keep investing in him, even when he misses it. And this moment here, this is an important one in the evolution from Simon the fisherman to Peter the significant leader in Jesus's transformative spiritual community that would come to be called the church. To whom can we go? You have the words of life. I don't think Peter fully understands why he feels compelled to stay. He just knows this. He's seen too much. He's heard too much. Sure, he's full of doubt. He has lots of questions. He's probably conflicted in different ways or misunderstands much of what project he's following Jesus into. But this he gets, something about what Jesus is speaking of, something of the message he's here to deliver, something of the person himself is eternal, is set apart, holy, sacred, brings life. It's like manna from heaven, something that sustains, 
Perhaps he has a sense that in calling himself the bread of heaven, Jesus is talking about more than something you just digest in your body. He's talking about the nourishment that Jesus and his message can bring to the soul. This week has had its own share of reasons for many of us to feel perhaps conflicted, to say the least, with identifying as Christians or Jesus followers, however you want to say it, in the 21st century United States. On Tuesday, we saw the electorate of Georgia elect two new Democratic senators to represent them in Washington, D.C., claiming the Senate for the Dem Democrats. We saw a young Jewish filmmaker who will be one of the youngest to take place in the U.S. Senate elected and one of the first and, and the first black senator to be elected from the state of Georgia, Raphael Warnock, a Christian pastor who leads the same church Dr. King once led. And then within hours of celebrating the elevation of this black Christian leader to serve in the U.S. Capitol, we saw others, many who called themselves Christians, white supremacists decked in religious imagery to make the point, attack the same capital. Sure, many of them, they were doing Jesus's bidding. How are we to reconcile these dueling realities? Might we, like Jesus's earlier followers, feel like this is a bridge too far to keep walking. And yet for some of us, like for Peter, as confused as we are, as heartbroken as we are, as conflicted as we are, confounded sometimes by what Jesus seems to say, we've just seen too much. We've heard too much. Something's captivated us. And despite all we grieve, Despite all we're enraged over and we wonder about, that thing holds our hearts in deep ways. To whom could we go? We know we have tasted the words of life. I started this morning sharing one of my stories of why I, like Peter, don't think I can walk away. This is far from the only story I have. Truthfully, there have been many encounters through the years on this winding path of faith that I've been on that have kept me on the journey. If you've been around a while, you've probably heard a number of them. But ultimately, I want to say this isn't just about me, the pastor, Leah, her story. As we enter this conversation in the weeks to come, I want to give you a chance to think about some of your own moments, the dramatic or the mundane. Where have you experienced something in the Jesus tradition that was compelling? What keeps you coming back? What of Jesus-centered faith has sustained you? Was it a story? in the gospels you read? Was it a stirring sermon you once heard preached? Was it an experience in a church, a prayer moment? Or if you're new to this journey and are still unsure about Jesus altogether, 
What brings you to a community like ours that at least calls itself in one of its core values, Jesus-centered? We're gonna take some time with the rest of our morning to give you some time to reflect on those questions for yourself. And then we'll move into breakouts and have, have, some, have a chance to kind of share some of those things together. And my hope is this will give us a chance to consider together as we prepare to spend more time looking at a number of the stories from the life of Jesus that informs a Jesus-centered faith. Like what are our personal connections to this tradition? Not any one of us, but us collectively. How do we as a collective interact with these traditions? What preconceptions are we bringing in with us? What history and experience are various ones of us coming in with? What wounds from the Jesus tradition might we attend to? Do we need to attend to? How can we be mindful of these wounds as we navigate the conversation together? So I'm gonna take a moment to pray for us, and then I'm gonna give you um, a few questions for reflection, and we'll put them up, and we'll send you off for about five minutes to do some private reflection. Maybe if you're a journaler, write down some notes, um, however you want to do it, pick any of the questions that resonate for you. And then we'll go into breakouts for about 20 minutes to share some initial thoughts, whatever you wanna share. Don't feel like you need to share, but you're welcome to. So let me pray for us and then we'll send you off into a little bit of reflection time. Divine one who is known by many names and who I have come to connect with through the person of Jesus, I welcome you. Will your spirit be that which can sustain us? May we experience that today, even in the midst of so much uncertainty, grief, fear, around all that is happening around us. And so much potential uncertainty, grief, fear, about where our own spiritual journeys have taken us. We confess all the ways we are in the wilderness looking for manna, needing something to sustain us as we continue the wilderness journey we're on. Would you remind us, O oh Spirit, where you've been present to us, where we have seen the markers of your presence in our stories thus far? Where are those moments where we have been captivated, where we have felt that sense of, I have seen something I can't deny? Where are the places we are wounded and feel afraid to consider anew some of these stories or what Jesus-centered faith might mean for us. Would you come in grace and hope 
that you will meet us wherever we're at and that you are here for us collectively to journey together in love, in safety, even as we bring a diverse set of voices that I believe reflect all of the beauty of who you are, O oh God. Amen.